You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Sometimes, since we are all of like passions and like-minded, sometimes we fail. We fall short. That's why we need a blessed Savior. That's why we need a blessed person like Jesus Christ in our lives. One who came and fulfilled the law when we couldn't do it. One who came and took our place on a cross when we should have been hanging there. One who knows our sorrows. One who knows our problems. One who knows that you're going to fail Him tomorrow and exactly where you're going to fail Him. He knows those things and He loved you anyhow. As Pastor Dave continues his teaching series through the book of 1 Samuel, he'll be explaining how it's impossible for you to keep the law of God. The law of Moses was a schoolmaster that teaches you that you need a Savior. The only way that you can be truly forgiven of your sins is by receiving the sacrifice of Jesus. And here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 21 as he continues his message, Exile to Blessings. You are Paul said, I had to discipline my body in order to do this. Because the first thing that's going to happen, I can tell you what happens in my house. I get up in the morning, and I go out to my dining room table, and I sit there with a cup of coffee, and as soon as I open that book, click, 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 here she comes. Not Beatrice, the dog. Here comes the dog. I want to go out. I want to go out. So I got to get up, let her out. Then she's out for five minutes, and she wants to come in. Right? And she, every, I'm trying to read the word, and she's like, you know. And then she comes, then Beatrice comes in. You need to be strong because you will always have things come against you anytime you open up the Word of God. Because Satan knows what the Word of God will do for you. He knows what the Word of God does in your heart. He knows that the Word of God will lift you up to a higher place and that he won't be able to get to you and be on you. Well, he'll try, but all these things come your way. All these things just start to come your way. Repel them, rebuke them, say no, and stay steadfast in the Word of God and let the Word of God minister to you. If you're eating a cereal, read between bites. Whatever. Whatever. You should do it in the morning. Now, we can't make it a rule. You're going to miss. I miss. There's sometimes I just get up and I can't I get, get there. I'm around. Things happen. And then we, we can't make it legalistic. Are you going to hell? You didn't read your Bible today. No, you know, you have all day. You have all day to read your word. All day. Seek a time that's good for you. And get alone with God. Seek a time that's good for you, but make it fresh every day. God has probably done wonders and great things in your life today. But tomorrow's a new day. And you want new and greater things to be done tomorrow. Don't rely on what happens. Get something fresh from the Lord. The priest says that the young men have kept themselves from women. The showbread was not to be treated casually. It is to be treated and only eaten by priests. It shall be for the sons of Aaron, and they shall eat it in the holy place, according to Leviticus 24.9. While the passage in Leviticus does not specifically say that only priests can eat it, it establishes the principle that must be regarded that it is to be eaten in a holy and sanctified manner. Just like when we read the Word of God. We need to read it in a sanctified manner for what it is. It's the Word of God. Treat it as the Word of God. I know people... 
I know people who won't even put their Bibles on the floor. Oh, that's them. That's fine. That's what the Lord's showing you to do. That's fine. It's not, I'm not going to be dogmatic about it and say you can't do that. But I know people like that because they, they in their heart, they, they value the Word of God that much. So Ahimelech, the priest, asked David for a basic level of ceremony cleanliness before he gave him the showbread. And in giving the showbread to David, Abimelech broke with priestly custom, but he didn't break with God's word. He highly understood that human need was more important than the Levitical observance, which brings me to Matthew 12, 1 to 8. In Matthew 12, 1 to 8, Jesus mentions this very thing. Jesus mentions this very thing, and he uses them to explain the matter. Jesus approved of what Abimelech did, and Jesus honored him by standing on Abimelech's same ground. The point that Abimelech was making, the point that Jesus was making through Abimelech, is a conversation that we had several Sundays ago. Human traditions are not as important as the Word of God. Human traditions are substandard to the Word of God. It's always the word of God first. Always. That's what Jesus was railing to them about. If it had been an only priest can eat this bread, it would have been completely different. But it doesn't say that. God never said that. To put it only in seems logical, but that's adding to the word of God. What does it say in the Revelation? Don't add to or take away from the word of God. Don't do it. You can't. Elevate our extension or application of words God to the same level as God's words itself. Don't do it. So we come to verses 7 through 9. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen of the belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in, the, in that. Take it, for there is no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. Who else should have Goliath's sword but David? I always wondered what David did with Goliath's sword after he killed the Philistine. Well, here it was in this place. This Doeg guy, this servant of King Saul, was there looking at something. They're not really sure why he was there. But if they look at the word chief, the chief translated as the word mighty. But it also can be used for a violent or obstinate man. And you're going to see in chapter 22 that Doeg is extremely violent and he's an extremely obstinate man. Because his name literally means fearful. He was like one of Saul's henchmen. He was like one of Saul's go get him and kill him guy. Not really sure why he was there. Some think he was fulfilling a requirement because he was the chief of the herdsmen. And since he was not a child of the covenant... He was not born a child of Israel. He was an Edomite. Many think that he was there trying to fulfill part of his conversion. In other words, maybe he was converting to Judaism, and that's why he was there. It doesn't say, so we can only make conjecture of it. We can't make it dogma. His presence disturbs David to the point that David looks for a weapon. Now, this Abimelech must be scratching his head saying, well, you came all this way, you don't have any weapons. Now he's really getting curious. This must have been a scary time for David. He must have been on the run, no weapons, 
not knowing who he could trust as far as human concern, always looking out for those who might hurt him or kill him, or even those who might report him to the king. It's a hard thing. Paranoia comes in. We can understand why David went on a weapon and why he asked. But it's also sad that David continued to lie about being on the king's business. Oh, I left in a haste and I'm on the king's business, so I didn't bring my weapons. David is desperately trying to avoid the king's business right now because the king's business is to kill him. Considering what the king's business was, David told the truth. The king requires haste. Yes, he did. He left in haste. One commentator said this. Listen to this. It is painful to the last degree to see one, David, whose faith towered to such a lofty height in the encounter with Goliath, coming down from that noble elevation to find him resorting for self-protection to the lies and artifices of an imposter. David was once the highest of highs when he killed Goliath. And now down here he's foraging and scurrying for his life. And he's lying. He's making up stories. It's sad. But we can learn a lot from David. We can learn a lot from David. David goes before the Lord constantly and repents of his sin. David was happy to have a good weapon like the sword of Goliath. He said, there's none like it. And he held his sword. I can imagine he looked at it. It must have been a powerful, powerful weapon. We read back in um, chapter 7 how strong it was and how much. I think it weighed like 15 pounds or something. It was really a very, very heavy, heavy weapon. I wonder if he, when he held it up, if he remembered that day he killed Goliath. I wonder if he held it up if he remembered that. When he killed Goliath, he didn't do it with lies and half-truth. How did he kill Goliath? He trusted in God. He trusted in God, remember? He trusted in God. He went out and met Goliath. He trusted in God and God in all sorts of circumstances. You know, you can have the sword of Goliath. And you can have the sword that killed him. But it would be better to have the faith that killed him. Our weapons aren't carnal. We don't have carnal weapons. We don't have swords and guns and those kind of things. Our weapons are spiritual. Our weapons are spiritual. Is David now trusting in the Philippine swords better than the shepherd's tools? There's nothing wrong with Goliath's sword. The Lord used it, but only in the context of the Lord using it in radical faith. Where was David's faith at this time? And let me make a point here. This shows you just how much could happen to one when you're under duress. When you are under severe duress, your faith gets extremely tempted. And sometimes, since we are all of like passions and like-minded, sometimes we fail. We fall short. That's why we need a blessed Savior. That's why we need a blessed person like Jesus Christ in our lives. One who came and fulfilled the law when we couldn't do it. One who came and took our place on a cross when we should have been hanging there. One who knows our sorrows. One who knows our problems. One who knows that you're going to fail him tomorrow and exactly where you're going to fail him. He knows those things and he loved you anyhow. Went to a cross to prove it. If we would only settle it in our hearts and walk forward. Walk forward in his love and in his mercy and in his grace. And have that radical faith that, he, that David had when he killed Goliath. You know, we're all praying for revival in this land of ours, this great America that we love so much. We're all praying in this land. But where's the radical faith that's going to change America? 
Where's the radical faith in our hearts that's going to change America? When's the last time you told somebody the gospel? When's the last time you demonstrated God's love to someone? When's the, when's the last time you even looked at someone with a smile on your face that loved somebody? Or were you one of the ones, oh, darn shoebies are here, I hate them. I got news for you. This place would be a ghost town without the shoebies. Every store would be boarded up and closed. For these. these people come down here and they spend thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars down here. They're our life source. But yet every year you see people, oh, the shoebies are coming. We hate them. Why would you? I can't believe you would hate them. I can't believe you would hate these people who are your life support. God is sending them here to keep you comfortable during the winter. So where's the love in that? Where's the love in that? Oh, they take my parking place. Oh, I'm sorry, you have to walk three more steps to get to your house. Oh, I'm really sorry. It's nuts. Where's the radical faith that we need? We've fallen to where David is. We've fallen to a point where we don't have that radical faith. We need a radical faith. You want to see revival? Get a radical faith. Get a faith that's real, for one thing. Get a faith that's true. And stand up for your faith. Stand up for what you believe in. I've said this before. Go back and look at all the revivals. Go back and look at all the history of all the revivals. Most of them started with one person being filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. One person. And boom, things happened. God is looking to and fro throughout the land for a person whose heart's towards him that he can show himself strong on behalf. God is looking. He's looking. Alan Redpath, who I I really like, said this, quote, David lost confidence in God and in God's fulfillment of God, in the fulfillment of God's purpose in his life, which had been revealed to him. He went to God's house for comfort, help, and guidance, but he was detected as being wrong in his soul. Instead of acknowledging the truth to the only one who could help him and confessing, he told a lie and he ran again for his life. Have you lost confidence in God today? Has your confidence in God waned? Well, I can tell you the truth in all honesty, standing here before you, that on July 20th, my confidence waned in God greatly. My confidence was shattered in God greatly when he took my son. My confidence was shattered. But I've regained that confidence in God because of him, because of his love, because he never stopped loving me. Even though he knew that I was upset at him, he knew, even though he knew that I was hurting and that I was deeply confused, he never stopped loving me. And he gave me that confidence back. He gave me that want back. He showed me his love in so many ways. He used many, many of you to just pour your love out upon me, and that showed me his love for my wife and I. And we, we grew in that. And we grew in the knowledge of him. And we grew and we became stronger. Now don't get me wrong. Sometimes you see a facade up here and I might go home and break down and cry for a while. It's tough. Tomorrow will be seven weeks. It's tough. But God is my confidence. God is my strength. God is my glory. He is my master, my chief, my savior. And he told me to call him friend. He is my God. And whom else would I trust? Where else would I go? Where else could I possibly go? See, David knew this, but he lost it. And he started telling lies. He started doing things in the flesh, started trying to get this way and that way. And anytime we revert to the flesh, we're wrong. Automatically. Because God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
And then David says these words about Goliath's sword. There's none like it. There's none like it. Give it to me. It's so precious to you that you want it. There is none like it. I give you the true sword. I give you the sword of truth, the word of God. There is none like this in all the world. There is none like this. This is God's truth. It's his word. It's inerrant. It's infallible. And it is true in every way. And everything that's said in here either has come true or will come true. And that is our hope, and that is our confidence, and that is where we place our trust. No matter what the trial is, no matter what the trouble is, that is where we place our trust. We place our trust solely in God's word. Solely in God's word. Let's read through verses 10 through 15. I got sidetracked, sorry. Then David arose and fled that day. Here David goes on the run again because of Doeg. And he saw, for sure saw, and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in the dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? And now David took these words to heart, and was very much afraid of Achish and the king of Gath. And so he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva fall down on his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Look, you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? I have, have I in need of a madman that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Huh. Holy mackerel. Look what David has sunk to. Look what David sunk to. He's going to be the king of Israel. No, he is the king of Israel. He was already anointed as king. Is this how a king acts? In these verses, we see fear now replaces David's faith. Fear has taken hold of David's faith and has taken it away. He runs to Gath about 23 miles away. And you remember, whose home was Gath? Goliath's. So now he's taking Goliath's sword in his hand, running to Goliath's home. Probably not the safest place he should have gone. Probably wasn't thinking real clearly. Can you imagine that? Of all the places he goes, but he saw the henchman Doeg, and he got so upset and paranoid that he ran away. But in reality, it probably would have been the last place Saul looks. But what a reception he got. It wasn't real good. They remembered him all right. (laughs) They remembered him real well. Isn't he the one who killed Goliath and they started singing about? David knew he was discovered and he understood that King Achish would not let the man who killed Goliath go. We got him. He's ours now. We can take care of him. You know what's interesting? During this time, David wrote Psalm 56. During this time, David wrote Psalm 56. I was going to go into it, but we can't have time right now. The title identifies this as the song he wrote when the Philistines captured him in Gath. So apparently he was captured. doesn't say so in the scriptures, but he was captured. David thought he could find an anonymity and sympathy among the Philistines in Gath, but he was wrong. And Psalm 56 describes his journey from fear to praising God as a prisoner in Gath. Psalm 56 shows that the slide that started on the road with Jonathan and continued to Gath now comes to an end. All that now comes to an end. David is on higher ground again. And you can read, as you read through Psalm 56, it goes one of those ones where he starts to cry about being a prisoner and how he's so upset and all of a sudden it changes and now he starts just praising the Lord. 
How he starts glorifying the Lord. The psalm reminds me of Saul and Silas in the Philippian prison. When they're chained and they start singing the hymns, they start having a worship service. You know the rest. The difference between David then and now was his faith again was strong. David had turned back to the Lord. David had now turned back to the Lord. And that's what happens. When we get on the wrong path, and things are going ever so wrong for us, and we're struggling, and, and we're, we're, we're doing things that we're not supposed to do, and we're, we're, we're in the midst of distrials and stuff like that. As soon as you make that turn back to the Lord, everything changes. Everything changes. Everything changes because as soon as you turn around, the Lord is standing there with his arms open, saying, where you been? Where you been, bucko? Come on back. Where you been? That's what's happened. That's what happened. David turned around and the Lord was right there. He said, man, I've been waiting for you, man. What, where you been going? You've been acting crazy. You've been doing all this stuff. Don't you know that I love you? Don't you know that you're my child? Don't you know that nothing's going to happen to you? If you're running today, if you're acting crazy and slobbering all over yourself, scratching at doors, you need to turn around because the Lord's right there behind you. Saying, come on back. Come on back. David's plan worked. Akish says, I don't want this guy. He's nuts. Keep him away from me. He's pathetic. Was David walking in spirit or in the flesh when he did this? Some commentators believe that he was in the spirit, trusting in God. But the change in Psalm 57 happened before David's escape. And it made sense that the Lord would guide him. And David went to a path where the Lord can humble him. When David tried to protect himself with lies and tried to find refuge in the ungodly, he was really acting crazy. That was the crazy move. Going to Gath was truly a crazy move. But David repented in Psalm 56. He asked for mercy and trusted in the Lord again. And the Lord, again, was with him. When, and he said, he's acting like a madman. Get him out of here. This was probably one of the lowest points in David's life. But it probably was one of the highest points of David's life also. The Lord uses it once again. And David writes the mighty, mighty Psalm 34. Oh, what a psalm. If you do anything later on tonight, read Psalm 34. What a great psalm. It's his declaration of joy when he was given back his life at Gath. That's what the psalm reads. It says, a psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. Listen to these opening words of Psalm 34, verses 1 through 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Wow. David was amazed at what the Lord had done in his life. He was joyful because the Lord had delivered him once again. But see, David should have known nothing will thwart the plan of God. Nothing thwarts the plan of God in David's life and nothing will thwart the plan of God in your life. God's amazing goodness is shown and he will continue to deliver us when we really don't deserve it. When we really don't deserve it, God will continue to deliver us. He will continue to strengthen us. He will continue to encourage us and continue to lift us up. So if you're acting mad today, turn around and look to Christ the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy set before them, endured the cross for you, for me. What a Savior. What a God. Amen? You are sure.
We're so glad you joined Pastor Dave Shank today for A Sure Hope. This study in 1 Samuel has been taking you further into God's process of fulfilling promises. And it may not look like you'd always want it to. God gave a promise to David when he was young and unequipped to handle the magnitude of what was to come. God still gave him a glimpse to the future, though, and we walked with David to help him grow and learn. God's plan included trials along with victories, but he was faithful to David throughout. Right now in our country, we are facing a trial never before experienced. Don't fear. God is as faithful to you now as he was to David. He will bring you through, and you can lean on Him for strength and comfort in the waiting. We'd encourage you to read ahead in 1 Samuel and discover for yourself how God works life out and let Him encourage you through it. How can we be praying for you during this 1 Samuel study and during this unusual time in history? Please give us a call and let us know at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We are pleased to be able to bring you teachings from God's Word on each edition of Assure Hope. If you'd like to hear more from this series in the book of 1 Samuel, visit assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download, and we encourage you to share them with friends and family. That's all we have time for. Thanks for tuning in to Assure Hope.